we're going to now, each week for the next four weeks, we're going to like light the Advent wreath as a part of observing Advent together. So before we dismiss the kids, uh, I want to call my family up, the, the ones that are here, Chris and Cindy and Ryan. We thought we'd go first. Uh, we've never done it together as a family uh, in all these years, so we thought let's do it. And uh, I'll let, I think Chris, you're going to start us. Mm-hmm. All right, so, um, so Advent starts with an apocalyptic theme for the first Sunday. And you might be wondering what the second coming of Christ has to do with the preparation for the first coming. The idea is that in order to prepare for the second coming, we go back to the Old Testament, to the prophets and to John the Baptist, to understand what it was like for the Messiah, to wait for the Messiah the first time around, and to prepare for him, and to trust that he would eventually come. And going back to these days, we begin to understand the patience, the faith, and the perseverance of our spiritual fathers and mothers as they waited for the Messiah. We are waiting for him also, although he is present to us through the Holy Spirit. And now my dad's going to light the first candle, which is for hope. I'm going to read from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of, Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in the battle and every garment rolled in the blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, um, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with the justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Pray for us, and then we will uh, dismiss the kids. Father, Jesus, we ask you that you would help us hope that um, as uncomfortable it is, as, as it is and as it can be, that you would help us um, guide us into the vulnerability of longing for a future that is better 
and more whole than the one that we currently experience, God, that we would be vulnerable enough, that we would be driven um, by your love enough to cry out for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord, for um, to get to be a part of that. And God, would you lead us um, to live lives of sacrifice, not lives of investments, um, to live sacrificially for your kingdom uh, and for your glory. Jesus, help us hope. Amen. Amen. The kids may be dismissed. Your teachers are in the back. Ryan McIntosh, you're you're my fireman this morning, so if that candle burns down, (laughs) counting on you (laughs) to watch it. (laughs) I was supposed to recruit someone before the service, and I forgot. I think it's going to be fine. (laughs) Okay, so starting today, we're listening to the voice of Advent. We're going to listen primarily through the voice of an old, old prophet by the name of Isaiah. Isaiah's name means the Lord saves. That's his name. Isaiah is considered the greatest of the literary prophets, Isaiah. He wrote a significant portion of the Old Testament. So the passage that Cindy read today is the one we're going to look at. And in that passage, Isaiah gives us four names of the coming Messiah, wonderful counselor, that's the one we'll look at today, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. You know, names meant something in antiquity, in the biblical literature. Names are connected. We've talked about this before. Your name was connected to your person, to your reputation. It, it, it uh, impacted the way people looked at you and thought about you, your name. Not so much anymore. I mean, some people do that, but a lot of times we name our kids because we like the way the name sounds or whatever. Um, and there's, as you guys know, every year they come out with the trendiest names of the year or whatever. But antiquity, it wasn't like that. The name meant something. Isaiah's name meant the Lord saves. Isaiah lived and preached and did ministry, prophesied in the 8th century B.C. So do the math, 2,800 years ago or so. So 750 years before the coming of Christ, Isaiah lived. He lived and preached and prophesied during a very turbulent, difficult time in the history of God's people. So I want us to listen to Isaiah. We're going to like kind of walk through the passage that Cindy read just a minute ago. He begins in chapter 9 saying, There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Am I feeling gloomy this morning? I mean, Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, maybe you're like us. We, I counted up. We've been hosting for 96 straight hours. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, we're not, we don't feel gloomy, but we are looking forward to a little bit of you know, let down time. 
tonight. Isaiah said, there'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali, these were ancient tribes of Israel. There were 12, these are two of them. They were in the northern part. I think I've got a map up there, John. They're in the, I don't know if you can see them. So Zebulun's the purple one, so that's easy, and Naphtali is the yellow one to the north. These are the tribes that Isaiah is addressing. The northern kingdom, so basically, I, I didn't bring my pointer, everything above the upper two-thirds is the northern kingdom. That kingdom was invaded by the, when, the, when Isaiah is writing, the a kingdom to the north of there called Assyria is going to come and invade all those northern kingdoms that you see. Every one of them really except Judah and Simeon, the big one there on the, on the bottom, uh, your left there. They were, Assyria came and they displaced them. They brought their own people down and they forced them to in, intermingle. And then they took some of them away to Assyria. And in so doing, a new breed of people were born. It came to be called the, Samarian, the Samaritans in the, by the time of the New Testament. It was a difficult time for all those places, all those tribes in the north. So this is who Isaiah is writing. He's writing these tribes who are in the process of getting displaced. Some of them were refugees now. The, the southern kingdom, Judah, that big one, that kind of dark yellow one with Simeon in it, they were spared. You want, you want to know why? They formed an alliance with Assyria. They reached out to the king of Assyria and said, hey, we'll be with you if you'll leave us alone. So they formed this alliance that men like Isaiah were saying, don't do that. Trust God. Well, they formed an alliance with Assyria thinking they were, they were safe. They made it happen themselves. Little did they know that the time was coming. There was another empire building to their east called Babylon. And when Babylon came, they were not nearly as kind as Assyria was to them. And many people lost their lives. But for now, Isaiah is addressing these people in the north. And he said some pretty hard things to them, but here he's not. He's looking forward and he's preaching hope. So he says this, in the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee, that region included Zebulun and Naphtali. In the future, God will honor them, he says. Excuse me. Galilee was the geographical region in the north. You may be familiar with it. It's where Jesus was born. It's where Jesus lived. It's where he did much of his life and ministry. He grew up there. And Isaiah says in the future, God's going to honor that place. No more gloom there. That day's coming. Place is important to God. Isaiah is forth-telling. And Isaiah is about to use a common tool of a prophet. Sometimes prophet would say, this is going to happen. And then something really interesting would happen. He'd use what's called the prophetic present. He would start 
talking about the future as if it was happening right now. It's a really interesting thing prophets would do this. I want you to hear Isaiah talking about the future in verse 2. He says, The people in walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. Isaiah is looking forward. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. There won't be a need for instruments of war. They will be, they will be fuel for the fire. It's an incredible description. I like old Negro spirituals, they're called. Songs that came out of slavery. Maybe you know some of them. Maybe you know the song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Do you know that one? That was a prophetic present kind of thing. They, the, the Negro slaves would, would write these songs... That talked about one day as if they were happening now. I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Someone to carry me home. They, they formed this anticipation. This sense of hope. That even though they were suffering at the hands of oppressors. They began like living in a different reality. Their hope wasn't just one day someday for them. If you go back and read some of their journals like William Mather and John Cotton, you'll you'll find like people of great joy, those Christ followers experiencing such oppression. That's what Isaiah is doing. He's bringing the future and he's pulling it down in the present. By the way, that's what Christ did too. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is at hand. It's present. It's with us. This ploy that this prophet is using is actually a significant ploy that becomes part of our faith formation. When we're going through difficulty, part of the way Christ forms us is to give us hope. is to bring the future, what one day will be fully hours into our present and begin living in the reality of that. It's not mind games. It is beginning to experience now what God is bringing now and that one day will be fully pervasive in everything. So listen to this inspired description. Isaiah is pulling the future down. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Enlightenment. In the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You think about everything that's going on in the world coming into the light. Where where it's plain to see. It's plain to see the hiddenness, the secrecy. the, The dark motives of wickedness. The things that go on in the underbelly of life. Isaiah writes, the time is coming when a light will illuminate everything. 
It will all be seen for what it is. The people who have been marginalized, the people who have been made little of, will, will step into the light. Isaiah writes, and you will enlarge the nation. These are terms of spiritual formation. This is what happens in the life of a Christ follower. Spiritually speaking, their, their chest begins to swell. Guys probably like that analogy. They get larger. They, they become, young men become men. You've enlarged them. Men and women become people of substance. And he says, in the nation this will happen. You will enlarge them. Their borders will grow and expand. He writes, you've increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. These are really two striking metaphors. Farmers and soldiers. Rejoicing in the midst of a plentiful harvest are the farmers. Some of y'all grew up on a farm. You know that feeling. You have the hard summers and seasons and there's not much there and, and maybe your family had to take out more loans that summer. And then you know the plentiful ones. When there is all that you hope for and then some. And, and then the sense of satisfaction and we're going to make it kind of that would pervade going forward. And then the warriors rejoicing. You, you ever seen one of those war movies where like there's a battle and it's hand-to-hand combat on this open field and all these maybe medieval warriors are go, or Lord of the Rings or whatever are going after each other. It doesn't look good for the good guys. But then, you know, someone shows up and helps them, and the tide kind of turns, and they keep battling. And all of a sudden, there's this kind of collect. It gets quiet for a moment. And there's this collective-like realization that they won. It's like all the bad guys are on the ground. And there's this, this moment. And then there's this, like, collective shout. You know what I'm talking about? Like, Everybody's exhausted, but there's enough left for everybody like thrust their weapon up in the air and shouts all together. And that's the picture here. Warriors rejoicing in dividing the plunder. Joy. In spite of the awfulness that just happened on the battlefield, there's a sense of joy. Good has prevailed here. Isaiah writes, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. He's, he's bringing freedom into the present. That there's this day of no more gloom is going to be a day of freedom. People experience personal freedom. That, that you've, this is what Christ talked about. This is what Christ came to bring. That you're actually growing to the point where you're, you're free to do what you want to do. Because what you want to do has been so transformed by Christ that it gives you joy to do the good and the right, to bless others, to help other people be free. And then Isaiah writes, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. He's talking about peace. Peace. This is a description of spiritual formation that is coming to the people of God. And then Isaiah kind of really brings the boom. 
Listen to his words. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing, upholding it with justice, with righteousness, from that time on and forever. And then he moves back to the future. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. To us a child is born. To us, <coughs> excuse me, a son is given. Must to camp out that little phrase, to us, son is given. When we gather together, we are in the presence of something that has been given. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. This is what Advent anticipates, what Christmas celebrates. It's what has been given. For God so loved the world, John wrote, that he gave. Isaiah lived in a perilous time in the city of Jerusalem. You could climb the city wall and see the Assyrian warriors in the distance. Attack felt imminent. There is destruction. You could smell it, the death in the air. The northern kingdoms were being sacked. People were dying. Understandably, folks in Jerusalem were panic-stricken. What are we going to do? We've got to build up our military might. We've got to plan our counterattack. What are we going to do? Maybe a few of you are living with that question. You look over the wall, you look beyond where you are today, and you don't know what you're going to do. It looks not very promising to you. Isaiah couldn't help with strategy or might, but he did speak for God. He preached a sermon. That's what he could do. And the sermon he gave was not about what they must do. It was about what God would do. What God was going to give. To us a child is born. To us a son is given. Maybe you've been in a situation where hope is waning. Life's pressing in. You've tried to fix your situation and it's failing. It's failed. It's not worked. It's not been enough. What seemed like the right strategy, just like Israel, the right strategy was to form an alliance with the Assyrians, they thought. Maybe what you've been building is turning out not to work out so well. Maybe it's because you just can't do it. You can't. Maybe God's word for you is to say, this is about what God has done. To you, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 
It's about what God has done. Christ has been given. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Advent looks to that. What has been given. So the question today is, will you enter that? Waiting, hoping, being still, receiving what has been given. The greatest gift of all, one we could never deserve, right? To us, a child is born. Isn't it amazing that in Jesus, God starts right where you started? A child. A little baby. Birth. A child is born. God come in the flesh. Not as a reigning warrior. As a baby. Weak. In our biology, a baby. Our story of vulnerability, our bodies, our weakness. God comes as a baby. God became flesh and He made His dwelling among us. A child is born. Isaiah writes, and the government will be on His shoulders. That's kingdom language. Government. Government. The king will come, but he will not look like we think. A child is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Well, there's a nickname for you. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Early in his writings, a couple chapters back, Isaiah talked and preached that a virgin would become pregnant. And give birth to a son. And he said, this will be a sign to you. A sign. A sign points forward. It looks ahead. But the focus here is not on a sign. It's a son. The pointing forward, Isaiah says, is now here. It's been given He will come, and when He does, it will be given. He will be a gift. Present, here, at hand, with us. And He'll be called Wonderful Counselor. That's the first of the four names of the child to be born. The son to be given. The two words go together. Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful, it means extraordinary. It means supernatural, divine. So it's a paradox. We have this baby born in a barn. And Isaiah said, and it will be supernatural. It will be extraordinary. It will not look like it. It will look obscure. It will look unsanitary, perhaps. It will look like in the dark of night. But it will not be those things because a child has been given. Not just born in the normal way. Given. Wonderful counselor. Isaiah begins with that nickname. Wonderful counselor. Not commander. Not controller. Not warrior. He starts with counselor. 
Wonderful counselor. Counsel. See, this counselor will be different in quality than normal counsel of men. It'll be different in tone. It'll be wonderful counsel. It'll be different in content. Different in authority. Different in result. It'll be wonderful. At age 12, the religious authorities could see it in Jesus as He was in the temple sharing. And all of a sudden, a group of scholars circled around Him. They'd never heard anything like this. They marveled because His counsel was wonderful. When he began his public ministry, people were amazed at his teaching, even though there were men around Jesus that were much more educated. They were trained in ancient languages and traditions. But when Jesus taught, Mark tells us, people were amazed because he, t- he taught as one who had authority. Why? Because he was wonderful. He was a wonderful counselor. He was divine. He was, there was something different, extraordinary. His disciples, they lived with it. They got to see it every day for three years. Jesus sharing his insights. His teaching was different. Sometimes it was perplexing, yet it was simple. And it seemed like the people who got it most readily were the simple. The children, the powerless. But at the same time, his words were powerful. They forced you to act. Often without asking, they forced you to decide to move. You couldn't just sit there anymore. Why? Because he was a wonderful counselor. That's what gifted, powerful counselors do. They help you move, usually without even asking. He will be called wonderful counselor. So what does it mean for you, for Christ to be your wonderful counselor? Does it mean comfort in times of turbulence? Does it mean consolation when you're discouraged? Does it mean wise counsel when you need direction? Or does He teach and instruct you when you need knowledge? Does He inspire you when you need to rise up and move forward? Does He correct you when He's wandered off the path? Or does He gently guide and lead you in good and right ways? Or is He sometimes just present, maybe even silent, because He knows it would be best for you just to be with your own thoughts for a while? Wonderful Counselor. He listens to us. He knows our needs. He pays attention to us. This is the child giving that Isaiah is forth-telling. When we are in His presence, we are valued. Why? Because He's a wonderful counselor. We matter to God. We're significant. He sees us. We come to understand that we are His beloved. Why? Because He is a wonderful counselor. And the result is we find a way forward. We find a way to live with zest. And vision and purpose and drive. Do you know Christ as your wonderful counselor? You know him. Are you learning his way? 
Are you leaning into Him? Have you heard His counsel? He wants to be your wonderful counselor. In that, there is hope. A son has been given. This Advent season is not about what we're going to do from God for God. It's about what has been given for us. And because of that, you, me, I can afford to be still and know that He is God. You don't have to manage the world. You can afford to stop and trust Him. You can afford to wait. You can afford to be in His presence and not have to exhaust yourself to try to make Him happy. Why? Because He was given for you. Christ was given for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He didn't ask you to do anything. A child has been born. A son has been given. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, we are still. And we are still in Your presence because You've been given. Lord, there's plenty of work to do. We understand that. But under all the activity and all the work and all the running around, a child has been born and a son has been given. Would you like bring up hope from us as we look forward anew, afresh? Father, we pray that you, if you've been speaking into the hearts of us this morning, would you say to us in a fresh way, I have given my son for you, my beloved one. For you, for your community, I've been given. And in that there's hope, no matter what we may be dealing with. It's not all about what we do. It's about what's been done. What's been given. Father, bring hope out of that place. I pray that if there's people in this room that like I've never received that before is your word for those who would receive him this son giving on our behalf that they would be called children of God that through confession of Jesus as Lord they find themselves in this company of people who are receivers it's not about how well they're living. It's about what they've received. And it's out of that we learn to live well. God, speak to us as we pause just in this moment, in this sacred moment, and receive what you have for us. We, I ask God that you would speak 
speak beyond our present. Pull down the future for us and let us see it a little. And give us hope. Enlightenment and peace and safety. We pray hope over this entire room, Lord, that you would bring hope to us. I pray these things in our Messiah, Jesus, who is given. Amen.